Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Judges chapter 14. We are in our second week in the life of Samson. This is, man, one of the best stories in the Bible. And it is one of the best stories in the Bible because it is both an incredible warning and it is so encouraging. Um, I love the story of Samson, and we're going to uh, finish that up next week with chapter 16. So I hope that you read chapter 14 and 15 this week. Um, and uh, between now and next week, read chapter 16 and just think about it. Amazing things in this story. You know, uh, one of the things that I just love about this story is that it is a warning of what not to be. When you read the story of Samson, uh, we've been talking about our church mission statement, which is to live for the glory of God, to learn everything that God says and obey it, and then to be loving and encouraging and to lovingly accept people, encourage a transforming life in Christ. The story of Samson is actually just the story of somebody who ignored those four things that are in Scripture. Samson is a living example of somebody who didn't do those things. And so it's, it's really great to be able to look at that and go, okay, that is life as it really is. And one of the great things about reading stories like the story of Samson is we get to see a story from the beginning to the end, and we actually get to see how God interacts. And in a sense, we get to know what God thinks of this story by the way that God tells the story and the things that God says about it. See, sometimes... We look at things and we misinterpret it, but that's the great thing about the Bible is that God's telling us stories. He's including specific details so we will learn the things that he wants us to learn. And so I love this story, and I think there are so many people whose lives are destroyed because they don't read and they don't think about the things that God has told us. And we need to read the Bible from the beginning to the end. There's a lot of people who misinterpret theology. They have bad theology. I just want you to know, if you read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, and you just read it, you think about it, you accept it, you believe it, that by itself corrects theology. A lot of the things that are wrong in what people believe simply come because they don't read and they don't think. Or they read and think, but then they reject instead of accepting. So uh, some things that I love about this story is his life is a warning. And I want you to know it is never too late to heed the warning of Samson's life. I was thinking about um, some examples in the Bible, but one is just Manasseh, this incredibly wicked king. He lived his whole life in rebellion against God, and God credits him for incredible evil in Israel. He was a king, supposed to be leading the nation toward godliness. He was wicked. He was evil. And it had devastating results um, in, the, in Israel. And so God actually takes him away and sticks him in prison somewhere. And in prison, he repents. And God restores him as a king and he spends the rest of his life trying to reverse the damage he did in the beginning, beginning of his kingship. And so what I want you to know is as we read this story and as you think about it, and I know as I read this story and as I think about it, I think about many ways I have failed to be the person that God wants me to be. And it's kind of encouraging when I think about this story. It's like it is never too late to say, hey, I didn't do the things I was supposed to do but I can start today doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And that's really encouraging. It's also, if you're sitting here, it's never too late to be warned. Because the thing is, is that I, just in looking at life, I see person after person who show up to church every week, and they are living Samson's life. Completely wasted missing every opportunity and blessing that God intends for them. And they're living this disastrous life, headed to disaster. And here's the scary thing. Some people realize it, but there are people living Samson's life who don't even realize they're living Samson's life. Uh, the Bible tells us that God disciplines the people that he loves, and he tells parents 
that if you love your kids, you will discipline them diligently. I just want you to know that, that there are pastors and parents and churches that hate people. Because what they do is they encourage and they raise people who live Samson's life and they don't warn them. They just smile and wave as people walk off a cliff. And we don't want to be that church that does that. We don't want to be the parents that do that. We don't want to be the disciple makers who do that. Uh, We want to be people who just say, hey, God, I may have messed up in the past, but I don't want to mess up anymore. And, Lord, I need your help and your grace. Um, But today I'm going to commit myself to do what you've told me I'm supposed to be doing. And so this is a great story, and it's encouraging. And just in case I run out of time at the end, I want to say this. Um, God loved and used Samson. Um, Samson, God, God looks at Samson's life. You would have no idea from reading the story of Samson's life that he's a believer, that he knows God. Like you would look at this and go, wow, what is that? And yet God looks at his life and says, he lists him in Hebrews 11 as a person of faith. And he says the things Samson did, he did out of faith. And Samson has like this faith of a mustard seed And that should encourage us that our standing before God is actually based on the work of Christ. It is not based on our diligence and our discipline and our goodness. And Samson's life is an expression of God's grace and mercy. And I think one day you and I will get to talk to Samson because he's going to be in heaven. As shocking as that is, he's going to be in heaven. And so uh, let's consider this story. And I want you to know... That God has a purpose for your life. And we saw that in chapter 13. But we can't forget what God tells us in 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. That is Samson, the desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes, that's Samson. The pride of life, that is Samson. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away away along with its desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. See, that's talking actually about salvation and not salvation. But with Samson, you know, it's interesting. We can have this, like, circle that we could put around people. And some of them are saved and some of them aren't. And you just can't tell because that's how they live. And um, that's something that really ought to get our attention. Um. Psalm 32:10. many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's <laughs> Samson. Man, read his life. It's full of sorrow. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. See, here's the thing. When somebody lives their life like Samson, they are headed for destruction. Either eternal destruction or earthly and eternal destruction. See, because when you live a life like this, your, your life is full of sorrow. That's why, whether or not a person's a believer, you're living like this, your earthly life is going to be destroyed. It will be pain and sorrow and grief. And that's why, whether or not a person's a believer, when they're living in sin, when we just smile and wave, it's because we hate them. And the, this is, the, I think, the bigger thing, is you actually can't tell when a person lives like Samson. You can't tell, actually, if they even know the Lord. So the truth is that while you ignore their earthly destruction, you are potentially ignoring their eternal destruction. All right. Shall we read the story of Samson? So here's the first thing that we're going to see here. That when you live in the flesh, that leads to personal loss but it never destroys God's purpose. So that's a big picture. Um, You can suffer for living a sinful life, but God's always going to do what he wants. You know, I think about uh, this whole thing of eternal and temporal loss. You know, Matthew 16, 25 says, whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's just Jesus calling people to salvation. And when we think we're sacrificing, we're not. 
When we, when we think we're sacrificing to obey God, we're not. We're bringing blessing into our life. When we ignore God, we lose what we're trying to save. Um, and that's true. All right, so uh, Judges chapter 14, let me read it, and we're going to see that God's purpose is never thwarted by human sinfulness. Let's read 10 verses, and then I'm going to point out a few, like three observations in this. Judges 14.1, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Um, who, why did God raise Samson? To destroy Philistines, to kill Philistines. Samson was God's Philistine killing machine. That's why he made him. Samson, I'm going to make you, and I want you to go kill some Philistines because they're evil, wicked people. They hate me, and I've been allowing them to punish my people, but now it's their turn to get punished for punishing my people. You ever think about that? God raises up wicked people to punish his people, and then he says, but you never should have attacked one of my children, and then he destroys them. You ever think about that? Like, just read the Old Testament. In fact, often Israel says, God, how can you use these wicked nations to punish us? And God says, oh, that's okay. I'm going to destroy them for this later, after you learn your lesson. But you want to know something? Think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these faithful people. Um, God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel, but because of their faithfulness, Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. That's a different story. Um, Okay. So he goes down, he sees one of the daughters of Philistines, the people that God's raised him up to destroy, and then he came and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now go get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson, what are you thinking? You are... Your purpose is to be God's holy person. And you are ignoring that and running off to marry someone else that God says you shouldn't marry. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she's right in my eyes. Um, Man, there's a lot of things there. You ever want something you shouldn't have? You ever tell somebody, I want that, and they say, hey, don't do this. And you say, shut up, give me what I want. That's how he talks to his parents. Verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. We're going to come back and talk about that. But God has a purpose even in the sin of Samson. That doesn't make his sin right. doesn't make it okay. But God always accomplishes what he wants. Verse 5, Then Samson went down, to, uh, down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. Behold, a young lion came toward him roaring, and then the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him. And although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a goat, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went and talked with the woman, And she was right in his eyes. He checked her out. He's like, yep, I like her. Verse 8, and after some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. And his father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there for the young men. Um, So so the young men used to do. So Samson's going to go get married, and he's going to just disregard everything that God has told him. So I want to talk for a second just about God's purpose. Um, Samson's disobeying God. So in Samson's life, he disobeys God. God's raised him up to be this holy, righteous person, driven and motivated by God that's going to free Israel. But Samson, we're going to learn, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about God's calling in his life. He's just a person who runs around and does whatever he feels like doing. And God says, okay, then I'm going to use what you feel like doing to accomplish my purpose. 
Uh, you think you're running away from me. No, actually, as you run away, you'll do what I want you to do. Kind of like Jonah, right? God sends him to Nineveh, and Jonah runs away and gets on a boat as he's fleeing. And God says, by the way, you're supposed to be bringing uh, pagans to come to know me. Well, as you run away, you're going to meet some people on a boat. They're going to learn about me, and they're going to worship me, and you're going to get thrown into the ocean. So they, Jonah gets punished while the sailors get saved. And so God always accomplishes his purpose, even using people sin to do it. Uh, we've seen that in Genesis 20, verse 50, verse 20. When Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery, that's sinful and wicked. And it says here, Joseph at the end of his life looking back says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, God uses our sin. That is never a stamp of approval on our sin. And so um, God has always done that. He's doing that here. And what's Samson's specific sin? Well, there's lots of it. But one is he's going to marry an unbeliever. He's going to marry an unbeliever. Uh, when we look at this, um, Nehemiah 13, 27 just says, Shall we then listen to you and do this great evil? and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women. See, people sometimes read the Old Testament and think God was racist. When God says don't marry a non-Jews, it's not because he's racist. It's a, it's a thing saying you don't marry a person who doesn't honor God in their life, who's not worshiping God. And by the way, the New Testament repeats that, where it says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? By the way, that's the story of my life. I lived that. See, my mom grew up in a Presbyterian church. And she didn't learn, actually, what God said about life. She was not in a church where they taught people to obey everything God says. So she grows up, marries my dad, who's a Mormon. And her Baptist preacher friend comes and says, her uncle, I mean, comes and says, don't marry him. He's not a Christian. And my mom charges off, marries him anyway. So I actually lived the hell <laughs> that comes from being in a home with the mom who, who is a Christian and a dad who's not a Christian. And I suffered everything that that meant growing up. And um, my... Mom used to say to us, and there's drama and trauma in our family. And, uh, and she would say, you know, I disobeyed God, and a lot of this pain and sorrow we have and what's going on in my marriage is because I dishonored God. I disobeyed him. I did what he said not to do. That's why you're suffering. That's why we're in this misery. But think about God's goodness, because if I didn't marry your dad, you wouldn't be here. And, and seeing how God uses that. By the way, that's one of the things that's really um, been a significant thing in my life is just thinking about those things and how they impact people. All the things that I didn't learn growing up in home, the, all the ways my parents were not, a, not able to say, hey, it's our job to raise our kids and teach them to love and honor God. And, um, and that they were working together on accomplishing that. They spent so much time fighting with each other. They couldn't even pay attention to the sinful things we were doing. They didn't work together in accomplishing that. I think about the difference between me and Michelle. When, when our kids were struggling, we were trying to encourage them and help them. And I would be pleading with them, and they would get mad and wouldn't listen to me. But Michelle was a little bit closer to them than me. She wasn't the point of the conflict. And then Michelle and I could talk about that. And then she could go have a conversation with him. I know you're really mad at your dad because he said this, this, and this. But have you thought about this? And she was able to go and encourage them. When they couldn't hear it from me, they heard it from her. Or if they were mad at her and they didn't hear it from her, I was able to go talk to them. Or when they were mad at me and Michelle and they wouldn't listen to either of us, we raised our family. To, to know that it's our purpose to encourage people to honor and walk with the Lord. And so sometimes one of our kids was talking to the other kid and saying, you know, mom and dad are telling you this and you're really mad, but have you thought about what God says here? 
Or if they didn't listen to that, they were plugged into a church with other believers that could come along and say, yeah, I know this is hard. You're mad at your parents and you feel like they're doing this or that, but can I speak into your life? You know, that kind of strategy in parenting didn't exist in my house because I had two parents that weren't on the same page. And um, that's why God says, don't do that. And in some ways, I mean, you could say, hey, how smart do we have to be? Is this really that important? But what it comes down to is, hey, we just do what God tells us to do, right? Who cares what you think is the best thing? It's what God says that matters. And yet how many people grow up in families and in life where they go, oh, hey, it worked out for me. You know, this is a crazy thing. My dad actually came to know the Lord at the end of his life. But that certainly was not a stamp of approval on sinful choices. That was just God's grace in the midst of sin, which is also encouraging. You know, when you look at this first 10 verses, he completely disregards spiritual leadership. See, we know that he's got a mom and a dad that want to obey God. That's why they want to hear from the, the prophet or from the angel of the Lord. It's like, we want to know, God, we want to, we want to obey and do what you've said. So there's this fundamental thing in his parents' life, and it's kind of this weird thing because you're not really sure what happens. Like when you think about um, what's, what exactly is going on in the story, but one of the things that we see is Samson keeps keeping secrets from his parents. Samson is not listening to what they're saying. He's telling them what to do. Um, God says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you. He's not doing that. He's doing his own thing. So I'm sure Samson's parents weren't perfect, you know. But somewhere deep in there, they wanted to honor the Lord. And Samson should have listened and he should have learned, and he didn't. And, and I don't really know what to make of all the parenting things because when he demands that his dad goes and gets him a wife, his dad obeys. That's not what's supposed to happen. Um. But it seems like his parents are trying to talk to him and he's not listening because it, it says here over and over that he keeps secrets from his parents. He's not telling them. It's because he doesn't actually want to hear what's right. I'm thinking about Proverbs 18. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You know, I've seen this in youth group. I see it in families. I see it in churches where you get people who gravitate away from the leaders. There's a leader who's kind of saying, hey, we, we need to go this way. They kind of don't like it. They're irritated. And so they just try to gather up their friends and get away and go somewhere else. That's because they just kind of want to be off alone by themselves. They don't care what's right. Um, if they did, they would show up and say, hey, I'm struggling. I'm thinking this. This is what's on my mind. That, like they would put it out in the open, but keep, people keep secrets when what they want to do is wrong. And um, so, you know, you see this and you just wonder, like, what exactly is going on here? It seems like Samson's parents are trying to talk to him, but he's not listening. But also, are they passive like Eli? Who Eli, it says in Eli that Eli goes to his sons and says, sons, you guys are in sin. Quit doing this sinful stuff. And then after he says that, <laughs> it says God, uh, they didn't listen to their dad because God wanted to kill him. Like, they had made God so mad. He's like, no, uh, you're not going to listen to your parents because that would warn you you'd repent and you'd live. But I'm so mad at what you're doing, I'm going to kill you. So they don't listen. But then he says to Eli, this is a very interesting thing. He says to Eli, I'm removing you as priest, and I'm going to have Samuel instead because you honored your kids above me. And you think to yourself, but wait a second, he warned him. But obviously he was passive in his warning. He didn't, he didn't say, I'm doing whatever it takes to help you honor the Lord in your life. He's just like, hey, that's a bad idea, but then just was passive. Like, were they like that, or were they like God, who goes to, goes to a Cain and says, Cain, have the right heart, have the right attitude in Genesis 4-7. Have the right heart, have the right attitude, do the right thing, and then uh, Cain ignores God. So, so I don't know about the parenting here um, and what exactly happened, but we do know that Samson didn't listen for whatever reason, and who knows who was responsible. But I will say this, 
his parents deep down inside wanted to honor God. So whatever, wherever you place blame, uh, Samson's responsible for the choices that he makes. Uh, the second thing that we're going to see is that sin does not lead to an inspirational life. Samson is careless. He disregards God's unique call on his life. He has no reverence for God. He's driven by sexual lust. He's a man of appetite. He just scoops up the honey and eats it. He does whatever he feels like doing. We're going to see that he has no friends. He's prideful, angry, and a person of vengeance. That's Samson. Um, it, is, it does not lead to an inspirational life. Um, and we just got to take a step back and just ask ourselves, are we spiritually inspiring where God's put us? You want to know what spiritual inspiration is? It's a person who just says, I live for God's glory. My one purpose is to please the Lord. I don't know how life's going to work out, but the one thing I do know, I'm going to do what God says I should do. That is inspiring. People who live for themselves, they're not inspiring. So my question for you guys and for all of us, as a pastor, i got to ask myself, am I inspiring? Um, as a parent, are you inspiring? As a fellow church member, are you inspiring? Or uh, do you just pave the way to destruction because you just always do what you want. You live for your own pleasure and glory. What God says is right. Man, that's not your priority. Uh, that's Samson. Uh, let's read this story. And it just says this in, uh, in this story. Look at verse 11. Yeah, I'm find it here. Okay, here we go. As soon as the people saw him, they brought him. So he's getting married. He's going down. He's going down into town. His parents have brought him there. So now he shows up for his wedding, verse 11. As soon as the people saw him, they brought him 30 companions to be with him. Samson shows up. He has no friends. Like nobody's following him. Nobody wants to be around him. The Philistines got to say, well, let me give you some friends. And that could be that people are taking a stand in his life and just saying, yeah, Samson, you do this sinful thing. I ain't going. So you're going to go do this? You go do it by yourself. I'm not coming. Or was it that people, like, just didn't even know or care? It's like, oh, yeah, there goes Samson again, that self-centered individual who always just does whatever he wants. But he shows up there by himself, verse 12, and Samson says, let me now put a riddle to you. Samson, not only is he uninspiring and has no friends, but now when somebody provides him some friends, he's going to be self-centered and selfish and abuse the people that, are now given to him as friends. Let me now tell you a riddle. If you can tell me what it, what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you give me 30 li linens of garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, uh, put your riddle to us. It m we may hear it. So they take his challenge. He's going to abuse his wedding guests. And he's going to tell them this riddle. Um, what a self-centered individual. So he tells him this riddle, which actually rhymes in Hebrew. And he just says this. He says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they couldn't solve the riddle. On the 14th day, they say to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest, you, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. So they just come to her and say, uh, you know, you're... This fiancé of yours is taking advantage of us, so you're going to tell us what we need to know or we're killing you and your family. It's a wicked group of people, evil people. And so she's going to turn on Samson to save her own life, and as you read on in the story, it's not going to work because she and her dad are going to get burned, even though she does what they tell him to do. And he says, uh, have you impoverished, have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, oh, you hate me. You don't love me. You've put a riddle to my people and you haven't told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I've not, I haven't even told my mom or dad. So <laughs> this theme of him keeping secrets. And she wept before him for seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard and then she told the riddle to her people. And then they come and they tell Samson, um, hey, here's the riddle. And Samson knows they got it out of his wife. 
And he says, if you hadn't have plowed with my heifer, it's how he talks about his wife, then you wouldn't have known my riddle. And he's angry, and the Spirit of God comes on him. And what's God's Spirit going to do? It's going to make Samson do what God created him for, which is to kill Philistines. But Samson's not going to do it for the glory of God. He's going to do it because of his own jealousy and anger at what they did. So what does he do? He goes 20 miles to another city, kills these 30 Philistines, takes off their clothes, and then goes back and says, okay, there you go. He gives them, like, the clothes off their dead Philistine friends that he killed. So um, that's Samson. And uh, so he, he wanders off home. Look at verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1. And after some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson goes to his wife with a young goat, and he says, I'm going to go into my wife in the chamber. But her father wouldn't let him go in. And so he says to her dad, I really uh, thought that you, her dad says to Samson, I thought that you hated her, so I gave her to your companion. But her younger sister is more beautiful. Take her instead. And Samson says, this is interesting. This time, I will be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So he's going to be mad. The little sister's not good enough. But he knows that his anger going down to kill those other Philistines, that it wasn't right, it didn't honor God, it didn't please God. It's, it's accomplishing God's purpose, but it wasn't right. And he says, this time, though, you've wronged me. Like last time I shouldn't have done that, but this time, this time what I'm about to do is right. So he goes out, this, this man of amazing physical strength, he goes out and catches these 30 foxes. He ties their tails together, and then he ties torches on them, and he sends them running through the Philistines' fields. And so first of all, Samson goes and kills these 30 people. Now he's going to destroy the Philistines' crops. And the Philistines are so <laughs> mad that they go, why'd this happen? And they say, uh, yeah, Samson's father-in-law gave the wife to someone else. So they go burn the dad and the wife. They get what they were getting threatened for before. See, when you're walking in sinfulness and disregarding God, man, all kinds of disaster befalls you. And so they suffer anyway. And then this, I think, is like the pinnacle of chapter 15. And it's like the pinnacle of just incredible tragedy. Because after this, Samson goes home. And the Philistines, man, it's like a bunch of little three-year-olds. Uh, Samson's like, well, look what they did to me, and I'm going to pay them back. And then you're going to see the Philistines say, well, we're only going to do to Samson what he, what, what he did to us. It's like a little three-year-old's fighting with each other. This isn't God's holiness. This isn't God's mighty rescue. This is not like Israel going into the promised land, marching around Jericho seven times, blowing trumpets, the walls falling in, and they go in and kill God's enemies. And everybody in Canaan, they heard about what happened in Egypt, how, how Pharaoh hardened his heart against Israel and how God destroyed Egypt. And now they've been hardening their heart. They've been rebelling against God and God's holy nation comes in and kills everyone. And they kill everybody as an expression of God's wrath on sin. But when Israel went through Canaan, they all got the picture. But when Samson does what he does, nobody gets the picture. And so he's there. And uh, verse 11 of 15, then 3,000 Men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock because the Philistines have showed up. And they say to Samson, Samson, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you've done? And he says to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. And they said to him, we've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. Here's this person with supernatural strength that God created to free them from the Philistines. That's why Samson's there. That was his purpose. And God created him for that. And the people in Israel, when the Philistines come to get Samson, they should say, dude, go pound sand. Samson, come here. We'll help you. Well, let's, go, let's go destroy these Philistines. And, and they're like, we're kind of afraid of the Philistines, but Samson, he's pretty amazing, pretty strong. He could take care of this. And God's with him. I mean, is, is, does that happen? They're like, no. They don't see God's hand. They don't see God's rescue through Samson because he's a self-centered person living for himself. And so they're, they're just like, Samson, dude, you're causing problems for us. 
Um, I know all you care about yourself. We, we want to bind you and hand you over because they're leading us. They're, they're our rulers. And Samson, like this is where you start to see like a little bit of Samson's faith that you just, when you're reading the story, you're like, where is the faith? But you start to see it here because he says to the Israelites, he's like, okay, you can tie me up and you can turn me over. Just promise you won't kill me. And he's, he's not afraid of the Philistines. He's not saying, oh, man, don't turn me over to the Philistines. They're going to kill me. Not afraid of them. He knows that he knows why God created him. He knows why he was born. He's not afraid. But he says to the Israelites, um, he is vulnerable to them because he's not there to defeat them. He just says, hey, just promise me that you're not going to kill me. And they're like, dude, we ain't going to kill you. We're just going to tie you up and turn you over to the Philistines. And they're looking at each other, um, and they're going to kill you. So they tie him up with these new ropes. They hand him over to the Philistines. And uh, they, they promise him that they're not going to do that. You know, it's kind of crazy when you think about these selfish motives. You know, I think about David. This is not the only time that God did miraculous things. Think about King David. King David's different than Samson because King David's purpose is God's glory. That's why he lives. And um, when you think about David, he goes out to visit his brothers. He's this scrawny person that nobody thinks is worth anything. He goes out to visit his brothers who are in this big battle in Goliath, this massive Philistine is there taunting God's armies. And the king's like, who can I get to go fight Goliath? Man, you can marry my daughter, and I'll make you rich, and I'll do all this stuff, and nobody will go fight Goliath. They're like, I don't care what you give me. It's not going to do me any good when I'm dead. And David goes there, and he hears this Philistine taunting God. And in 2 Samuel 26, he says to the men who's standing around, and what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel. David's like this little teenager, and he's just like saying, um, okay, what does a guy get for killing this guy? And by the way, David's brothers are going to get mad at him. They're just like, you're bragging. You think you're so great. David's just saying, I'm not going to let this guy talk this way about God's armies, and I'm willing to go. And then he goes on, he says, what's going to be done for this person? But now you get a window into David's heart, because next he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What's driving him? It's God's glory. And then Saul hears about it, and he gets David, and he's like, okay, well, well let's give you some, some armor and all this stuff. You're like this little kid who's kind of lame, and he's like really powerful, and David just says, you know what, when I was guarding the sheep and guarding um, out in the field, uh, a lion and a bear came to try to steal one of the sheep, and I killed the lion and the bear. And the same God that delivered me and allowed me to take care of my dad's sheep is going to give me victory over this Philistine, for he has defied the armies of the living God. What drives and motivates David? What did he tell the people around him? What did he tell Saul? When he's standing in front of Goliath and Goliath just says, you're a little worm. What are you doing here? I am going to kill you. David looks at Goliath and he says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. And then what does this guy do? He goes on and he says a few, David says a little bit more about why he's doing what he's doing. And he says in verse uh, 46 of 1 Samuel 17, he says, I'm going to um, strike you down, cut off your head, and give all the dead bodies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. I'm going to kill you and animals are going to eat all your dead bodies. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He says, I want the whole world to know that there is a God in Israel, and I want all Israel, 
who's sitting here whining and afraid of Goliath that God is the one who saves. It's not about your strength. God saves. I want the world to know God's great, and I want the Israel armies to know that God is great. That's what drives and motivates David. And it's interesting because in 1 Samuel 18.1, as soon as he's finished speaking to Saul, this is David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. See, Jonathan also loved God. He was also a mighty man that God used. And when Jonathan saw David's commitment, he's like, I'm with him. And I'm not even going to get into the rest of the stories. You think about the relationship of David and Jonathan. But David was inspiring because he loved God. In fact, one time David's running from Saul and he's off in the caves and he's just like, man, if only I had a drink of water from back home. And three of David's men hear him say that and they go fight through the Philistine armies to get all the way back. They go get some water and then they come back and they go, David, you say you want some water. Here you go. And David pours it out, and he just says, I am not going to drink water that you risked your life for. That's the kind of people that surrounded David. They were so inspired. They were willing to risk their lives to get him a drink of water. What kind of leader was Samson? Um, The Philistines come and say, give us your guy, and they're like, okay, (laughs) here he is. So I just want to ask a question. What kind of dad are you in your house? What, what kind of mom are you in your house? If you're a teenager or a kid, what kind of teenager are you in your house? See, David was not the king in Israel. He was just some shepherd from a field. And David transformed Israel. And you want to know what it came down to? He just loved God, want to honor God. Like I just say, I've seen so many kids that they come from unsaved families and they show up to church and they, they want the youth group to be a positive influence in their kids' lives. And while their kids are there, they get saved. God gets a hold of their heart. And then they go home and they start living in their house for God's glory. And God uses a 12-year-old teenager to show a whole family what it looks like to live and worship God. And I've seen whole families get saved by what God does in the life of a 12-year-old kid. Or, Or a wife whose husband doesn't care about the Lord, but she's so submissive, she follows his leadership, she demonstrates... Um, God's faithfulness to God in her life until her husband says, don't go to church. And then she's like, yeah, no, (laughs) uh, I love you. I'm going to honor you as my husband, but you tell me not to go to church. I worship God first, actually, over you. Until that husband says, don't talk to our kids about God. We're going to let them make their own choice. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And, And the way that God can transform a family through a wife who says, I honor God in my life. Or a dad who's been given all the tools to be the leader of his home and to demonstrate that he worships God in his life and then is organizing a family to raise kids to honor and love the Lord. What kind of leader are we? What kind of people do we want to be? Well, let's check out what happened with Samson. He comes the, the, when he comes to the Philistines... They came shouting to meet him, and then it says the Spirit of God rushed on him, and the ropes that were on his arm, this is verse 14 of chapter 15, his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and he just breaks the ropes, and he finds a, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he puts out his hand, and he took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. Samson beats a thousand Philistines to death with a bone. He just looks around, he breaks these ropes, oh, there's a jawbone of a donkey, and goes and beats a thousand warriors to death. Um, incredible physical strength. These Philistines, like they fight wars all the time. All the wimps are dead. Like that's what happens. You go into a war and a battle with a bunch of really powerful people and the wimps get killed. The only people who live are the powerful people. 
And these thousand Philistines are the ones who survived all the wars. And Samson gets a jawbone of a donkey and beats them all to death. I was thinking, if you lined up a thousand people, gave me a sword, and told those thousand people, don't move. And I just tried to, like, kill all thousand of those people. I'm not sure I would have the physical strength to swing a sword that much. And Samson kills these people with a jawbone of a donkey. Man, that is God powerfully working in Samson. Incredible. Here's a third thing as we look at Samson's life. Is that God's mercy and provision and blessing is not an affirmation of a sinful life. See, I think often we live a sinful life and God's good, he's gracious, and he answers our prayer. And we think that's God telling us that it's okay. If, if my mom looked at her life and said, yeah, my kids walk with the Lord. I got a son who's a pastor. Uh, there's nothing wrong with what I did. Rather than saying, yeah, that was terrible. I never should have done that. But isn't that amazing that God's gracious and brings goodness out of pain and sorrow? And yet how many people completely ignore what God's called them to do in their life and they take God's kindness and blessing and then they encourage other people to do the same dumb things they did? Instead of looking at their life and saying, I dishonored God, I disobeyed God, that was terrible, but God's still good. See, here's what we see, like, again, Samson's faith. This is so encouraging as you read this story, but this is like one of the worst prayers in the Bible. Samson's going to pray now. Let me read it to you, verse, chapter 15, verse 18. He was very thirsty, and he called on the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst in the hands of the uncircumcised? So you see his faith. He realizes his strength and power comes from God. He's going to start whining. God, I killed these people. Now I'm going to die of thirst. He's so self-centered. And here's the crazy thing. Look at verse 19. And God split open the hollow, hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit revived, and he revived. God does this incredible miracle and gives him water. And it's because he prayed in faith. You know, the prayer, the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Man, that should encourage you and me, right? <laughs> I can't look at Samson and go, he's pretty lame. But when he prays in faith, God answers his prayer. If you look at your life and you're pretty lame, I just pray in faith. God loves you. God will answer your prayer. It is never too late. Our standing before God is not based on us. It's based on the work of Christ. Um, but can we not live there? <laughs> I mean, that's encouraging and great. But we don't want to live like Samson, compromised, wasted life. But man, that tells us how much God loves us, how much everything depends on him. Um, man, what a tragedy when people live mediocre, compromising spiritual lives, when they vacate the leadership position that God gave them. Look at verse 20. Therefore, the name of this place is called um, and. Hakor, it is at Leah to this day. And verse 20, the way that chapter 15 closes is the same way chapter 16 closes. So it's like the same phrase. Why is it put here twice? But it just says, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. <laughs> you got to look at that and go, you tell this story of utter failure and God being amazing and accomplishing things even in the midst of this utter failure. And then it says, Samson judged Israel. <laughs> and you just go, what kind of judge was he? In what way did he judge? In what way did he lead? Like it was empty. It's like this vacated position. Oh, just wait till chapter 16, and God's going to say this again. And you just scratch your head going, what the heck is this? He judged Israel for 20 years. Hey, God worked through Samson anyway, but what did Samson do? Nothing. He wasted the position that God gave him. What a tragedy this is. 
Man, it just makes me think of Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Man, that's the people that we want to be, isn't it? Not people who vacate our position. We want to be inspiring, not for us, but for God's glory. We want to honor God because what we do matters. The way you parent matters. How you disciple people matters. The way that you are a Christian friend matters. That's why we want to do these things. We just want to honor and please the Lord so that he'll get the glory and so that people will be blessed. I was thinking about um, this weekend. I'll close with this. Hanging out with this farmer this weekend. I think you guys know. He's a vi- he owns a vineyard. Um, and we're just talking about how you can do as much work as you want in planting the vines and doing all the things to make vines healthy. But if, it f- if the earth freezes at the wrong time, you lose everything. Like the farmer's not in control. But if you don't water correctly, if you don't plant correctly, your harvest is going to fail. So it's that same thing with everything we do in life. Like our work and our diligence matters, but ultimately God's the one who causes the growth. I think it says that somewhere in 1 Corinthians. I planted Apollos water, but God caused the growth. And I just want you to know it's never too late. Like when I moved into my house, my front lawn was dead, and it's been dead for a year. It's like really ugly. I was like, man, that's never got any attention. And so I finally got this rake, and I scraped up my front yard. I threw a bunch of fertilizer on it. I threw a bunch of new grass seed on it, and I've been watering it. It's been neglected for so long, but God's making it grow. So it doesn't matter how you fail. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. It is never too late to just start today and say, God, I'm going to live for your honor and your glory. Hey, isn't that who we want to be? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who wholeheartedly live for you. Lord, protect us from the emptiness and the destruction of living for ourselves. God, I just ask that you would give us the privilege of spurring other people on to love you and to obeying you. God, that our lives would be inspiring because they're not about us. They're about you. God, I pray that you would use us and that you would use this church in a powerful way because of that. In your name, amen.